What is up? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. I lead marketing at The Juice. We're here. No excuse December. It's not a time to sit back and relax. It's not a time to not support your sales team. It's not a time to say, oh, everyone's out of the office. I don't need to run this campaign or do this thing. It's an opportunity, I think, to go all in. Go all in on closing out your year strong and also placing those bets for next year. No excuse, December. We're here. Fired up for this conversation today. I'm joined by a really, really bright marketer, and we are talking about a topic that is near and dear to many of our hearts. I'm joined by Amrita Mathur, who's the vice president of marketing at Superside. We are talking about to attribute or not to attribute. Attribution intoxication is something I've talked a lot about on this podcast and have written about it. This time, we have a marketer who is riding a rocket ship right now, and she's talking about attribution. I'm fired up to share this one with you. If you like what I'm doing over here, follow, subscribe, hit all the buttons, but most importantly, tell a damn friend you're enjoying the Modern Day Marketer podcast. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. Excited about this topic. I have talked a lot about attribution here and there, and we're going to have a good conversation around that. I'm excited about today's guest. I'm joined by Amrita Mathur, who is the Vice President of Marketing at Superside. I've been a follower of Superside for some time. Amazing brand. They've seen incredible growth uh, over the last few years. We're going to talk about that. I know you just got back from a trip. Now you're doing a podcast about marketing. Welcome back. How Thank are you? you. <laughs> I'm um, excited to chat with you today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's like a, it's a tough topic, but I feel like attribution is on everyone's minds with the recession and stuff. It's like, where do we invest our dollars? Budgets being cut. It's important. I'm glad you set it up that way uh, and giving the context. I think it'll be important just based on you know, our, our LinkedIn feeds being flooded with transitions, uh, people trying to figure out what to do with uh, less budget. So I think attribution plays a, a piece in all of that. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But before we get into it, I'd love just in case anyone does not know, maybe give a brief on Superside, what you all do and kind of what who your customers are. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Superside's a, a very simple concept. We're essentially a design company. We do all sorts of digital design for, you know, mostly mid-market enterprise companies. And we we currently have product market fit with tech and internet companies, but we don't discriminate. Um, we have all sorts of customers, you know, Puma, Belvedere Vodka, et cetera, that are that are not classic tech and internet. And we're more services, but our part of our secret sauce is that we've got this design ops platform that we've built. That's like a proprietary technology uh, that powers everything and makes everything extremely scalable and seamless. And you know, hey, in the future, would we potentially build that up and monetize it and become like a true tech company? Possibly. That's something in the cards, but uh, we'll figure that out. But yeah, design company that does awesome work um, on a, on a recurring subscription basis for tech and internet. I love it. And uh, I'd love to maybe learn a little bit about you and you joining the team. Like I know there's been a ton of growth. So maybe talk a little bit about like what drew you to Superside, And then just in that time period that you've been there, like what are the types of things you've seen in terms of growth? <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So just to set the tone, you know, usually my beat is that 
I join companies that are sort of post product market fit. So they've, they've maybe found product market fit. Maybe it's not with every segment imaginable, but they've, they've got momentum stuff is happening. Um, they have a product that's working and now it's like, okay, it's go time. Like let's scale this puppy. Right. And that's usually when they bring me in. So super side, when I joined them and when I was even like interviewing with them, very, very early stage, hardly a product really didn't know what a service could look like. All they knew was, we want, they wanted to move away from this like pay-as-you-go model to a full subscription model. And they wanted to be like a little bit premium. And that's it. That's literally the only guardrails that we had. And so when I joined them, which was already scary because it was early stage, I'd never done that before, blah, blah, blah. There was hard, no product, no customers, no recurring revenue. Um, we just we just told ourselves, okay, there's, the only way is up and what could possibly go wrong and we'll just figure this out. And we, we started by locking ourselves in a room only for one day and just like hypothesizing what our customer could look like, assuming we had a subscription service and then worked backwards from that to figure out what, what would be the ultimate service? Like what, what could be like all the bells and whistles that someone would possibly want, particularly an enterprise customer, what could that look like? And then from there, we worked back and said, okay, what are the baby steps we can take to get there? That that workshop, that that first day was actually like the stepping stone for everything. After that, I just went out and did a crazy ton of interviews with whoever I thought could be a buyer persona. Like I had some hypotheses of who those would be. And I think in the first two weeks, I did 57 different um, interviews and collected tons of qualitative data. And that was like, yeah, the basis of everything. So we took four months, set up a website, set, figured out our positioning, came up with pricing plans, built the service in the back end, reformatted the platform so that it would work for like this type of model. And we're just like, okay, let's launch. I, I think I joined in May of 2019 and we launched on September 5th or something like that. And it was just like, okay, hope we get some leads. Let's see what happens. Hired a couple of sales reps, you know, to field calls. And then it was just like, they just came flooding in. So like, we knew very early that there's clear need and clear demand that we were fulfilling. And now we just needed to tweak like what the, the parameters were. So that was like the early journey. I think in four months, by the time the year ended, we had already done amazing revenue. I don't quote me, but I think close to 4 million. So our minds were blown. And then it was like the next year was 8 million. The year after that was 30 million. And now we're on track to do 60. So pretty good. Yeah, the not bad. Uh, and I want to <laughs> dig into that maybe a, in a, a little bit, but you said something that I don't want to gloss over because I think this is fascinating. You know, you in two weeks you said you you spoke with like fifty seven people and you you started taking notes, hypothesis, and sharing that out. What was like? I think all of us as marketers should be having these types of conversations, whatever types of companies we work for. Like, what was like your pro synthesizing all of what you learned from those 57 conversations? Like, what was your primary takeaway that then you used to go like push whatever kind of next uh, strategies that you were going to be doing to help build uh, SuperSide? Yeah, you know, the thing is, like, we, I didn't, I actually, in retrospect, I didn't ask the questions in a very structured way. Like I, I see how people do interviews now, particularly product um, and user interviews, and they're very structured so you can compare apples to apples. And I think from 
I don't know if it was like intuition or what, but like I was having extremely unstructured conversations and letting people do the talking. And I was mainly asking about their pains, what the dysfunctions between marketing and design teams are, what, you know, trying to distill down, like what are like the icky parts of like stuff that people don't even like to talk about. So it was extremely unstructured. My biggest, like what I wanted to take away from it, the number one thing was like, who the hell should we sell to? That's really what I wanted to find out. There was a bunch of other learnings, of course, on the side, but uh, I walked away realizing that we actually couldn't sell to designers, even if they were senior, which was the early hypothesis, actually. I think the founders felt like they would be a great buyer for us, but they weren't. And they were actually in many ways naysayers because I think there was like some fear that jobs could be taken away, that they would be overshadowed. They also want, didn't want to relinquish control. However, when you talk to design leadership, so you're the head of design, the creative director, whatever that construct was, they were actually a lot more open because they could see that they were not going to obviously replace their team. They just needed help in high velocity moments. And they didn't, they wanted to augment the skill sets of their current team. So we very quickly realized don't talk to designers there. In fact, they could be bottlenecks. So like stay away from them, but talk to a creative director or a head of design. And then we also found out that there's this other emerging role on the team that many people call design ops, just like you have DevOps on, on engineering teams. There's this thing called design ops now, and that's an emerging role that three years ago was extremely undefined and now is actually very defined partly due to the work that we've been doing. And that role is critical. And we love the design ops people on any team because they get it and they have the pain all day, every day. I love it. Uh, Yeah. So critical, right? Figure out exactly who is going to be the one to approve whatever you're trying to sell a critical in any stage of the business. So let's talk about, let's get into attribution. So you mentioned salespeople. I would imagine you figured out who you're trying to market to. You're going to be running a ton of experiments. Some of them are going to work. Some of them are not going to work. When we think about attribution, I think uh, oftentimes like we're, it seems like it, it's a lot lessened up a little bit. But when, when I was growing up in B2B, it seemed like, all right, we got to track everything. We got to use UTM codes. We got to put it through our CRM. We got, and it, all of a sudden it's like, did I do anything today in marketing or did I just like spend my whole day like, <laughs> in Salesforce tracking stuff, like, and we're complaining with each other internally on who gets credit for what. And it was like, this is, this doesn't feel right. So I feel like we are kind of moving in this direction where we feel like we can make ourselves a little vulnerable and give up some of the control, but I don't know, like, why do you think we overcomplicate things and maybe what's the benefit of just like keeping things simple at the beginning? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's such a big question. I, I think there's, you know, someone said this to me from finance a long time ago, this finance leader, a different company. And he said something, which I'll just paraphrase here. Like when times, when things are good, when things are going well, no one cares, right? About this, like who gets credit and hence attribution. And when things are tough, everyone cares about who gets credit and when things aren't going well. So I, I, I think I would just say that it's not like attribution in itself is not important, but you have to consider the situation that you're in and the environment that you're in. And um, it's really, I think, reframing away from, hey, I'm going to give credit to this team or this department or this program or this campaign 
but more to like, hey, I just need some basic guardrails and someone to, it's almost like someone, you know, over here to check my work and make sure that the decisions I'm making about investments is is safe and is going to future-proof us. That's really all you should view attribution modeling as. But I think we take it as gospel. I think attribution software companies are to partially blame for this because like that's how they sell themselves. Like this is mission critical. You can't live without this. And it's like, First of all, you can, but also it's not it's not going to dictate all of the actions that our company takes because there's tons of stuff that attribution can't solve for. Um, so yeah, so just changing like that mindset, I think is important. Why humans overcomplicate things? I mean, God knows. I mean, Nietzsche probably wrote about this. I, I don't know uh, why we like to do that to ourselves. Some kind of masochism, I suppose. Um, some level of brainwashing, I suppose, from you know tech companies that sell this stuff. And I'd say like maybe the third thing is just like when you're, for the lack of a better word, young and maybe less entrenched and experienced and seasoned, you may not trust yourself. And I think we have been taught in the last 20 years that follow the data and, you know, data will tell you everything. And so we over index on it as humans. Many years ago, I read a post by O'Malik who wrote this like, I think it was a very lengthy post, but it, the crux of it was like around what is the difference between being data led and data informed? And he was making the case that you want to be data informed, not like blindly following data, which I thought was so profound. And that's that's basically what most smart marketers know is like you want to be informed by the data and the modeling, but that doesn't guide every decision. I love it. The growth. We you talked about the you talked a little bit about the growth up front. I think somewhere in there there was a hey, we went from eight to thirty million dollars in one year, which isn't normal. Um, so I think that maybe mm-hmm. anyone who listens probably has their attention, and we should probably listen to uh, kind of what you have to say when it comes to do trying things and experimenting and tracking or not. But if if we're taking like this idea of attribution and how like if we're really trying to hit, find breakthroughs, we we shouldn't be tracking everything. Like maybe during this growth stage that you've been a part of in this, this, this rocket ship you've been on, like maybe like what are some like things or examples of uh, opportunities that have helped accelerate and t- taken you on that journey that if you were tracking everything, you might not have seen or you might not have spent more time on just maybe like share a little yeah. perspective there. Yeah. And you know what? I've asked myself this question too, because like you kind of want to repeat your success every year and things, things kind of keep evolving and changing. So, you know, your, your environment's not the same, but I would say that I I think we spent an inordinate amount of time. Actually, let me start at the beginning. The one thing that we were very okay with was our opportunities and pipeline, like we're a B2B company. So I, I talk in opportunities and pipeline, but we were very okay with our initial pipeline coming from paid media. We had no shame in saying, oh, this came from an ad. And we knew going in that someone watching an ad and signing up for a demo and then turning into pipeline probably doesn't have the same level of information and the same commitment that someone who came in reading a blog post or organically, whatever would have. So we did some things to help arm them and to arm the sales rep to arm them as well. Uh, But we had no shame in that. At one point, it used to be 80% of our pipeline was paid. And a lot of marketers would shy away from that. It's actually embarrassing for many marketers um, because it seems like easy and it's like a shortcut. But we were like, hey, we are optimizing for learning. That was the number one, almost like qualitative metric that we used. It's like, 
speed of learning was key. And then the second thing was revenue. And then of course, everything else followed from there. So that's, that's one important lever. The second thing that we were very okay with was we were very experimental early on with our pricing that year in particular, I think I changed our pricing three times. If I like 2020, we changed our pricing three times and we were just like every quarter we would like regroup and be like, how much did we sell? Who did we sell to? What are the retention curves looking like? Oh, anyone that's on this plan has better retention curve. What does that mean? And like, we would literally just be like, okay, we're going to like 2.0. This is what that looks like. Okay. Now we're going to like 2.1. And we just like would change it up and we would grandfather certain customers and others we would force to move over. If you churned, you churned. Sometimes we would fire customers and so on and so forth. So I think those two anchors and the full commitment of the founding team and engineering and everybody to just be like, okay, with that level of change was actually really helpful. And then you layer on top this idea of like where you spend your time in marketing. And, and that was, I, I'll say that we chose to run with out of the box basic attribution. So yeah, did we go all in on GA and track every event and every signal that we could possibly get? Yes. Back then, actually two years ago, the uh, look back window was much wider than it is now. Now it's, I think, 28 days or 30 days. So we actually used to have like a ton of amazing data come through from Google Analytics. And then we just use Salesforce out of the box attribution. And the out of the box attribution is first touch, last, third, last touch. How did this demo get booked? How did this um, opportunity get created? Give full credit to that last campaign that allowed it to convert. And that's it. And we were totally okay with that because our journey of the buyer was somewhat linear because so much of it came from paid. So we lived with that for a very, very long time. I think that's the thing that the takeaway there is like, look at your buyer journey. And if it's not that complicated, you don't need anything else fancy, like literally just use whatever is at your disposal. You use HubSpot, just use the out of the box HubSpot. You use Salesforce, just use out of the box Salesforce. It's good enough. If your buying journey is not linear and it's very complicated from day one, then you might need to invest some time to build something more robust. You could buy software to do it. You could find some data math genius to help you build your own. Um, but we we chose not to do that. And it and it, it it definitely saved a lot of mental bandwidth to focus on other things. So I, I love the um, understanding that you all have that, yeah, it might not be the sexiest, it might not be the most glamorous, but we're, we're, we have a paid strategy and it's working and we're gaining new customers from it and we're seeing ROI from it. So we're going to keep doing this. Then it's, uh, okay, we are looking at our pricing. We're like t- opening up the hood. We're seeing who's uh, which customers are retaining, we're retaining, then we're doubling down and going, you know, changing pricing to better fit kind of those coming in. Then I would imagine there's probably this other like box where it's like, all right, it's all the other stuff, right? It's like stuff we're trying, things we're doing um, mm-hmm. that might be more experimental. Um, in that like sliver, uh, is it just like the we, we run a test on something and it works one time. So we're going to do more of it. And we run a test on something and it doesn't work the first time. So we're not going to do it anymore. Like talk to me a little bit about just like the decision-making um, with the inability to be able to like focus in on attribution and track everything. Yeah. I will say that most, so we were, because it, it was still super early, we were still standing up net new marketing programs, right? So an example of that was in, I think when the pandemic hit in April or May of 2020, I was just like, 
you know what is what's weird is that we don't do any like webinars there's no community feeling there's no like you know bringing of people together even if it's just customers like why don't we do like a webinar a month we'll have a customer speak i'll ask them some questions we'll keep it cash and we'll just do it like very action oriented learning focused and i pitched this to the ceo just like on a whim and he was like i'd be happy if like 20 people show up like his expectations were like very very low and I was like, I was like 20. I was like, we can do better than that. And he was like, I'd be very happy if it's 20. I was like, all right, cool. So I li- like literally just like wrote a bunch of it. And this is part of like the things that don't scale, right? I literally like wrote, I went to Salesforce, picked out a bunch of customers. I Googled them on, on online to see like who had what presence. I stack ranked them like, oh, can I get some like juice out of this, et cetera, right? And I just emailed them all in a pecking order being like, hey, we're starting this new thing. We're calling it blah, blah, blah. Just pulled the name out of my asked like essentially just like made it up didn't even talk to anybody about it I was like would you speak on this and like it's very low lift and I'll do most of the work for you you just have to show up and be open and vulnerable and be willing to share your results and that's the key criteria and a lot of people were just like yeah hell yeah if it's low lift like of course so we started that off first session I think we had 100 people next session we had 150 the session after that today now that's like a series that we call gather and grow so we've kept the name but it's like much more professional we have like an actual streaming service we use and someone manages it full-time and we get five six hundred people registering each month so it's gone from ceo's 20 person expectation to that but it's not just that the best part about gather and grow has been that we get repeat people so we've positioned it as a learning series and a community series so you just keep coming back over and over and over and so we see 25 percent 30 percent return visitors and return listeners, which is exactly what we want. A lot of them are actually existing users and customers. So I want to hit on this because I think um, as a lot of marketers are out there and uh, unfortunately, team members have left, been a part of layoffs. Uh, Marketers now are a lot of times being asked to do more with less. And I think uh, in that example that you just shared, um, while you guys were scaling up, um, you decided that, you know what, I'm going. I'm the marketing leader, but you know what? I'm going to get down in the weeds and actually do the work. So it's like investigating, finding the right people, crafting the emails, and just like spinning it up. It's spinning it up and just seeing what it works. And I'm guessing since your CEO said, you know, 20 people, you're probably like, I'm going to, I'm going to destroy this number. I'm going to, I'm going to go out yeah. and I'm going to make yeah, sure it was a challenge, we, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was a challenge. But like with that, it's like, I don't know. So, so often, like, some marketers who reach a certain level are like, you know what? Like, I'm not going to do the BDR thing anymore. I'm not going to do the SEO thing. I'm going to bring in people. But like right now, it's just like, it's tough to hire. It's, it's, we're going to have to do that. Like wake up some functional superpowers in order to like, see if things are going to work and push our brands forward. So maybe talk about like that mentality that you have, like you have experience, like you came in and your job is like to to run marketing, but like you weren't scared during this time to like get down in the weeds and actually do the work. So talk about the mentality. Our team was three people. So I did everything. I was like the VP and the janitor and everything in between. (laughs) Like, that's, I mean, that I, that's what I love about startup life is like, you don't have the luxury of sitting in an ivory tower. And frankly, if you want that, then you should be at a big company, go work at IBM, right? Like you don't need to be here. So I don't know. I mean, there's no real advice to give there, except that a lot of the MBA schools and business books teach you that, oh, if you're a CMO, if you're a VP, you should be like hands off and you should like, you should tell people what work you should do, but not how to do it. And just, you know, give general direction because you want to give them autonomy. And it's like, yeah, but 
the results, like you control them. And especially if you have a small team, like you, you kind of can't have your foot off that pedal. Like you need to be entrenched in those details. And that is the job of a startup CMO is like to go from here to here and here to here and back and forth, back and forth every single day. Yeah. I, I hope, I hope any, everybody listening would agree with this, but I'm, I'm sure that there's different schools of thought on this. What I will say that what's worked for us is that even though our team was very small, we had a lot of autonomy as a marketing team and we had a lot of design and engineering support. So I could go to engineering and they would, I could count on them to help me with some complex stuff. And I could go to design and go to creative and be like, Hey, I really, I think I, like when, when we did this gathering growth thing, after we did the first one, I was like, I think it needs its own sub brand. Like it kind of needs to come have a life of its own. I was like, can you whip something up for me? And I think we had like a hour conversation and they did. And it was amazing. So I just had a lot of other supports. I think organizationally, if companies are set up to not be like in these silos and like only operate within their little sphere of influence and their OKRs and only care about their mandate, if they can have a little bit of that shared OKR mentality and and shared responsibilities and results mentality, that can actually go a long way because it allows teams to be agile and it allows for people to be able to depend on each other, like truly depend on each other and and know that someone's going to catch you if you fall. I love it. I want to get back to the attribution uh, model of it all. So you've talked about like minimal attribution in the early stage, out of the box attribution. I would imagine today the attribution looks a little bit differently at Superside, um, probably maybe a little more sophisticated. Maybe talk about like when, what that looks like today and then like what level or what stage did you reach when you were like, oh shit, okay, now it's time to actually get serious about tracking? Yeah. So what was what we noticed started happening, particularly as we moved up market and started selling mostly to enterprise, was that as anyone that sold to enterprise would know, it's not just like the one or two people that you're talking to. It's an entire buying committee. There's a lot of different people you want to influence and talk to. You don't actually know who owns the, who holds the purse strings. Like Someone might say like, oh yeah, I'm the decision maker, but they might be, but they're not the economic decision maker. So you're trying to like figure out all of this stuff. So you actually have to influence many different people inside the account, people that may be at the table and people that may not be. So we started doing that. And now we just realized that we were like, I'll just give like a very simple example from yesterday. I forget which customer it was, Reddit or someone else. And we signed with this, we signed them on as a customer just very recently, literally in the last month. And someone else from the company booked a call with us. And we are, they're now a prospect, but that Reddit person and the original Reddit person we thought had nothing to do with each other. We actually even told them Reddit's already a customer and they were like, oh, I don't know. Okay. But turns out they're all on the same team. So then you're like, okay, what, what, what do we chalk this up to? We also couldn't tell where this person came from. Like, how did they actually book a call? We were confused about that. So I, I think, I forget where I was going with this actually, but I think there's complexity when you sell to enterprise and it might require not just an attribution model, but almost like a 
some kind of like rules of engagement of how you think about accounts. Do you think about accounts and sub accounts and subsidiaries? Mm. Like is, if you think about Coca-Cola is Coca-Cola USA and Canada and Brazil and whatever, are they different entities in, in your CRM or are they all the same? And then how do they all work together? So I think like that's the first piece. And then the second piece is, okay, how do I attribute these different uh, buying journeys that Google and other platforms would tell you are separate users and different users? And then how do you like merge that all together? So we've tried to do that in a couple of hacky ways. We've, we have built our own homegrown model that I will admit has not told us anything drastically different than what we already know. So we've done a ton of work in the last six months to build this homegrown model with, um, with some people who have done this for like really large consumer companies, actually. Um, so they, they're, they're extremely smart, you know, these like math PhDs. But the end result is we haven't learned anything drastically different. So that's the irony of all of this. But that being said, the one thing that we agreed on was that we were going to slice up the attribution into three stages. And, and it's different for every company. I think consumer companies are actually like much simpler because you attract somebody, they go to your shopping cart, they either check out or they, or they abandon that that motion is very clear um, and you can track them all the way through. I think in B2B, it's much, much harder. So we just said to ourselves, okay, we're just going to split this into three buckets. Some first visit, someone coming to our site, conversion point, and then eventually pipeline. I was like, I was like, let's just have, those are the three things we want to measure. And it's okay if those three aren't stitched together, but we just want to know what, what campaigns are leading to the first visit, what campaigns are leading to uh, this, this, the second part, and then what's, what's actually leading to real dollars pipeline. And Hey, at one, at some point in the future, if they can all be stitched together, amazing, but I don't have that expectation today. I love it. Basic punchline is, uh, that I'm gathering from this is like your attribution model doesn't need to be perfect. As long as you have some insider instinct on what's going on, obviously, uh, Superside has seen tremendous growth and it sounds like you're still trying to figure out every little thing that you can track in order to kind of push your initiatives forward. So don't get caught up in attribution. Keep doing great marketing, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and look at the data on your own. Like I am a total snoop. I look at Salesforce every single day. I look at every lead that comes through. I just, this is like a, my side hobby. And I, I, I like actually earlier before this team got this to this size, like I used to have a second screen that just like would refresh the leads. Like every single lead that came in, we had a report and I just wanted to see everyone because that was like a gut check of like a real-time gut check of like, are we attracting the right people? Because like, you know, it would show company size, buyer persona, it would show all of the stuff that's important to us to know. Um, and it was just like every single day I, I would like turn off my computer and I would be like, I know if we had a good day or not, because I was seeing those real-time, real-time leads. So I would say like, just like look at what's coming through, um, no matter what level you're at or what your job is, like see what's actually coming through. We have an integration between Salesforce and Slack where every time a new opportunity gets created, it actually pushes it to Slack. Every time we close an opportunity, it pushes to Slack. And that's actually really empowering for everybody as well. Maybe we close here. I'd love for you to give advice to any marketing leader at an early stage company that is trying to figure this out. We're wrestling with experimentation, growth, attribution, what to sell internally, what to put on our scorecard, what our CEOs can share with the board, like you've been in that seat, you've been working through it. 
uh, maybe share any piece of advice in closing you have? Yeah, I would say that as marketers, most of us have been taught to exploit every TAM opportunity, right? It's like, do more, like do this and do that. And like all of these different levers and campaigns and whatnot. And I, I think until Superside, I was definitely in, the, in that camp myself, but working here, less is more. I've realized that. And there's, there's, you know, people would ask us in the early days, like, Hey, what's your marketing strategy? And I'd be like, it's a paid strategy right now. That's all we do right now. We optimize like crazy and our ROAS are crazy low and all of the stuff, but that's pretty much all we do. And then people are like, Hey, what's your content marketing strategy? And I'd be like, we write for search. That's all we do right now. So it's like, it's embarrassing because it's like, I, oh, we do only do these two things and it's not, it doesn't inflate your ego. You don't feel good about it. But if you're starting from scratch and it's early and you don't have a full view of what works, don't try to like do too much. Like it's better to get good at a couple of things really, really fast and scale that. And then now, like, like three years later, we're in the stage where now we do like 50 different things because now we're like, okay, 30%, 40% of our time is like pure experiments. And the rest of it's like machines that are already built that we know will scale and can't go down. So many good insights and nuggets. Hopefully you all had your notepad out taking notes. Um, I think we can all learn something from scaling businesses like Superside. Amrita, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge. Learned a ton. Thank you, Brett. I love what Superside is doing, seeing tremendous growth. I love having marketers on here talking about growth, how they're managing it, how they're handling it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Go check out what they're doing. You enjoy your weekend. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. More modern day marketer on the other side. Always peace out.